Morning, everybody. I'd like to say it's good to be here today, but I wish I was somewhere else. <laughs> I get to preach once a year, unless I'm sick. I uh, thank Josh and those at the instruments for their rendition of that song. This message has been on my heart since I uh, started reading through the Bible again this year and got into Exodus, and I want to talk about broken things. First, I need an assistant, and uh, it doesn't look like my assistant came today, the one I was kind of looking for. Is Ellie here? Ellie Rischel, is she here? All right, then, Jordan, you're, you're going to have to sub in for me here. Stand up. That's all. Just right where you are. Um, this is one of my grandsons, my uh, son and his family and my daughter and her family are here. And Jordan is a basketball player, so I'm going to come down because uh, this is his basketball. <laughs> I was going to throw it to Ellie, but... Ellie's away today or just not here. So, Jordan, good catch. So, Jordan, just pass it to Pastor Chris, and that'll be fine. <laughs> He'll make sure you get it back. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to talk about an incident that happened in my life with basketball Christmas, when I was 14, my birthday's in December, and at Christmas time, I was given a basketball, an outdoor basketball. That's an indoor-outdoor ball, I believe. But uh, I received a basketball at Christmas time, and uh, since it was an indoor ball, I really couldn't use it. But I played for two rec teams that winter. I uh, made the ninth grade uh, high school team. 104 boys tried out, and I made that team. And in the spring, probably March or April, we started playing outside. And walking home one day, a bully, a bully took my basketball. He was a very mean kid, and he was always in trouble, and I never knew what happened to him. But I know his name was Frank, and he's not related to Frank Bowman, <laughs> and he's not related to Frank Heverin, and I don't know who he was related to, but he stole my ball, and uh, it was gone. And my reaction was, yeah, life is not fair. Things are broken in this world, and it, it made me mad, it made me angry, I was upset. And I was helpless. Couldn't do much about it. We didn't really know where he lived. We don't know what his family life was like. And I wasn't a Christian. BJ is before Jesus. And at 14, uh, I really struggled with losing that basketball and feeling really bad about it and how life was unfair. Up to that point, my, my life had been pretty easy and 
really very special and meaningful. After I became a Christian, this verse was introduced to me, and it became my first life verse. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, John 16, And also, in another translation, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Today, I'm going to present a few things that were broken and talk about broken things. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence once again, knowing you're here, knowing you're with us, knowing that your spirit is present, your word is present, and Lord, we desire that you'd speak into all our hearts. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness through challenges, through difficulty. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your love is so great. And I pray that you will guide us this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to uh, Exodus 32. I have it on the screen, but it's pretty small. You might be able to read it. But uh, we're going to look at this passage in chapter 32. And uh, just need to catch my breath and slow down once in a while. Let's begin with verse 9. Chapter 32, verse 9. God is speaking. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I, might, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So here they are on Mount Sinai, God and Moses and this conversation, because the people down below have created a golden calf, and they're worshiping that golden calf. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. He said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you were sworn. By your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So now Moses turned and went down the mountain with Joshua. The two of them were together. With the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory, it is not the sound of defeat, it is the sound of singing I hear. 
When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Quite an incredible tale, quite an incredible experience for Moses. I'm going to sum it up. God is speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. God is angry with the Israelites. Moses called it fierce anger. God is going to destroy his people. Moses argues with God for their lives. Verse 14, we read, God relents. He listens to Moses. Moses goes down the mountain with the tablets. Verse 19, Moses gets angry, very angry. He throws the tablets down, breaking them. We go back to verse 16. These tablets were written by God. They were the words of God. The Old Testament is full of judgment. It's full of disaster. It's full of God's wrath at times and how he dealt with people in judgment when his anger was poured out. Judgment, the law, rules. But it's a different story when we come to the New Testament. It's a different picture. And uh, want to uh, put that up there for you. The tablets represent the Ten Commandments, as we know. And uh, I can remember pretty clearly in 1963 the decision by the Supreme Court that the Bible could no longer be in the public schools, could not be read in the public schools. We know that there are still isolated cases. We know there's many that have uh, after-school time, and uh, that's good. However, sin is rampant in our nation. Crime and murder are just two things we could mention. There's so, so many more. I uh, wanted to consider these things that are broken. The economy, education, entertainment, government morals, sports. The border is broken. I have to stop there. I have a little object lesson for us. If I could ask you, if you're able and you're over 60, over 60. Would you please stand up for a moment if you're able? Everyone over 60. I know, I can hear the groans. I know, I know. I'm so glad I don't have to sit down right now. All right. Here's what I remain standing. I'm going to read something. It's a government notice. To help save the economy, border agents and homeland security 
will announce shortly that they will no longer consider deporting illegal immigrants, but will instead start deporting seniors. This will eliminate the need to pay out pensions, save Social Security, provide no more free bus passes, and it'll decrease the ever-increasing uh, drain on health services. The government has realized that older people are much easier to catch than illegals. <laughs> and they probably won't remember what happened to them or how they get home. Please ensure you send this to your younger relatives and younger friends so that they will know what happened to you. When I saw this notice, I thought of many of you and started to cry. But then I realized I'll see you on the bus. <laughs> you may be seated. Now, there's a purpose to that. We can, we can laugh and enjoy it, which we did, and I'm glad we did. But there's something significant that happened there. A huge part of our congregation was singled out in a very visible way. And that has happened to people down through the ages. And when I think of my trip to Israel five years ago, and I think of my time there in, in so many places from, from Dan to Beersheba, my trip, and I think of other minority peoples that have been singled out. I lived in Poland. Was from here to the road from Auschwitz. Two million Poles were killed in World War II. Six million Jews were killed in World War II. I've been to Dachau in Germany. There was a place in Poland, actually, it wasn't really a place. It wasn't a town. You may have heard of it, Treblinka. It was a train in Warsaw that went out of Warsaw to the east where there were ovens. The trains were full. They came back empty. It was just a place where Jews were killed. No village, no town, just a place for that. When we think of God's word, and that's what I'm driving at, we need to be able to look at it and love it and desire it. And these things that I have here, the things that are wrong, the things that are broken in our world, yeah, it's all true. Might get worse, don't know. But do you realize how angry God was and what happened to his word 
as a result of sin, the result of a lack of worship toward God. Very sad situation. I, uh, I think about a, uh, a list I put together probably 15 years ago. And it wouldn't hurt for you to do this little exercise. Uh, I went through the Bible and picked out my top 52 chapters in the Bible. I went through and I picked out the 10 books that I would consider my core books, my favorite books. Uh, got a question for you. What is Pastor Chris's favorite book? John. Why did you know that? Because he's told you over and over and over again. What are your favorite books? Can you make a list? Thank you. Can you make a list of 52 chapters? You know, you could take one chapter a week and just study that one chapter. Just allow, it, allow God to speak to you from that one chapter. Well, I picked out 30 from the Old Testament and 22 from the New Testament. 52 altogether, and uh, it's been a tremendous blessing. When, uh, when I come to the second point, first point, broken tablets. Second point, we're going to find in Job. Job chapter 2, if you'd turn there, please. Job chapter 2, another interesting dialogue that happens here. And this is the second occasion, we could say. Job chapter 2, verse 1. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before God. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you enticed me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. 
She was a good psychologist. And he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. This piece of pottery, it's, uh, it's made in Poland. And we've had it hmm, probably close to 18, 15, 20 years. No. No, it's not why I brought it. It's just a beautiful piece of pottery. And we know that pottery is uh, something that we, uh, we get from the earth. Things we, things we get from the earth, raw materials, and we make things with them. We can make pottery, bricks, we can use the lumber. And my question would be, as you see there, have we been good stewards of the earth? Do we preserve and recycle and uh, turn the lights out and all those kind of things? Because God put us in charge when we were in the garden. Put us in charge. And uh, things aren't really looking so good. Um, We have some major things going on. And here they are. Um, Consider the things that are out of whack. Atomic power, nuclear stockpile, uh, carbon overload, and outdated energy stations, weather, the heat, the drought, the fires, the storms, the tides, the floods, the mudslides, and the typhoons and hurricanes. We could go on and on. Have we mistreated the earth that we were instructed to maintain? Now, I have no doubt that God is in charge He is sovereign, and I know that one day we will have a new earth, Isaac, new heaven, Isaac. Isaac loves to think about heaven and uh, the new earth and uh, new Jerusalem. Yes, I have no doubt about that. But Job tried to use some broken pottery for healing to help him with those sores. Really not a very good solution. Notice, if you will, in verse 7, that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores. God said he's in your hands. He's in your hands. When uh, the Brigham ABF studied Job last year, uh, I was teaching sometimes, and one of the things I said to the group was that um, you get to chapter 42 and verse 6, we have Job, after he's had this discourse with God, Job says, I want to repent. There's no indication what he repents of. We don't really know. We can surmise, and we can see from Scripture there's some indication uh, what it is. Uh, And I would suggest that um, 
Job really didn't understand God's love and God's character. When Job says at the end of verse 10, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? This is where I begin to have some trouble. And I'm still wrestling with this myself. Here we have God and Satan and Job. And God knows who Job is. He's an upright man. He shuns evil. And God knows what Job's response is going to be. He knows. So when we look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 in, in Job 2, who actually afflicted Job? Who did? Satan. Well, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So I think there's a really important thing to understand here. Did God cause the trouble? Did God cause the suffering? What did Job repent of in chapter 42, verse 6? Well, as I said, I contend that Job misunderstood God's love and God's character. God is love. I contend that the root of suffering is sin. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? The consequences, the punishment was that the earth would be cursed. The earth would be a difficult place to live as difficult as it is to circle this globe right now. I'm not going to put it on my head. <clears throat> the earth is cursed. Sin is real. Trouble <clears throat> and suffering are all part of the curse. I had to ask myself a few things about some Scripture passages. If you want to write these down, they're not up here. You might want to look at them. They're not, well, one of them's not very familiar. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's really easy to remember. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Some of you know what that is. My grace is sufficient for you. God said that to who? The Apostle Paul. What you have to remember in that situation is that Satan was the one who afflicted Paul. And finally, John 9. All of John 9 is the blind man born, born blind. So you can read that. So here's what, here's what I have to offer you. Did God give Susan 
cancer? No. I don't believe that. God is love. Did God give anybody leukemia? Did he give anybody a terrible accident where they have brain damage? No. There are consequences to sin. And this world is cursed. That's what I have come to believe. When I was in Poland, it was a funny thing. We, we had this uh, situation where we were working with young adults. And the Poles had suffered tremendously in World War II. Many of the men were killed in World War II in Poland. And for that reason, the young women complained. They complained that there weren't really good men to marry. And the ones that were left weren't high quality. They had bad genes. They didn't go to war. They were weak. I don't mean genes you wear. I mean, they had bad genes. They, they were weak. All the men had gone off to war and were killed. Not God's fault. War is also part of the curse. And there's a very important part of this. There's many things that are broken. There was one thing I didn't put up there that really needs to be shared. Today, in our nation, maybe everywhere around the world, I'm not going to speak to that, but truth is broken in our world, in our country. It's very hard to live where truth does not exist. We know we have God's word. We have the truth. The third area that I want us to look at, there we go, is in Luke, our broken Savior. This is prior to coming to communion. So if you turn to Luke 22, we're just going to be there for a few moments, and then we are going to celebrate communion. Luke 22. Verse 14 to 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. 
For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When I looked at uh, this passage, it really wasn't until yesterday that I saw something that really, really struck me. I have eagerly, verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So why did he suffer? Three letters. Sin. He suffered because of sin. He had to die for us, for our sin. That's why we celebrate communion. That's why we enjoy a relationship with God, because he's personal. I have a couple of application thoughts, and then we're going to have a song. So how is the Holy Spirit, how is God's Word broken you? The application involves three words, worship, prayer, and communion. Those three things represent humility and brokenness. How do we come to God in worship? Broken, but joyful because of who we worship. How do we come to God in prayer? Usually, usually we bow our heads. A sign of humility before God as we pray. When we come to communion and we think about the Lord Jesus, what he suffered, what he went through to bear our sin. My father-in-law, some years ago, in fact, we were in Poland, and we went to the theater in Poland to see the passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's rendition. Before I tell you about my father-in-law, I want to tell you the theater was packed. And you could hear people whimper. You could hear people sobbing 
in the crucifixion scenes. You could, you could see people shaking nearby, at least we could. And do you know, Poland, you know, is a Catholic country. There were many, many Catholics in that theater that day. And what that motion picture presented was what Jesus went through for you and I. The sin that he took upon himself. In fact, when he says, why have you forsaken me? He said that to his heavenly father because God could not look on sin. So he had to turn away from his son. He had forsaken his son because of the sin that was on Jesus. So my father-in-law, I, I just love my father-in-law, Susan's dad, great guy, a lot of fun, great laugh, and uh, we had a great conversation about this. And his take on it was that no man could suffer that much. Nobody could endure that. And I said, yes, it was very, very bad. But Marvin, what you have to realize was, it wasn't just the beating, it was the sin that Jesus took upon himself. That was the greater pain. And Jesus did that suffering in obedience to the Father. And the consequences? Salvation. Amen? Amen. Salvation because of what Jesus did. Humility, brokenness, we need to be there. If you haven't been there, you need to ask God to break you. He will do so lovingly, gently, because he's a God of love. The worship team is going to come. You see the words up there, the bread was a symbol of his broken body. The wine was a symbol of his shed blood. We're going to switch over to a song.